Welcome back to Anointed Fire. My name is Tiffany Buckner and I want to talk to you in a message that I'm going to entitle Puppy Sick Demons. Puppy Sick Demons. One of the things that I've shared on my platform before is my story. Um, and it's a story of overcoming. It's a story of grace and mercy, deliverance, healing, the whole nine. But here's the thing. Before you get to the beautiful side of the story, of course, there was a very, very ugly, toxic and very traumatic side of that story. And getting away from the enemy, all these generational curses, all these generational demons, getting away from the enemy was not an easy feat. I come to find out and I always tell people, I said, Satan was the worst ex I've ever had because getting away from him, trying to break it up, break it off with him, being stalked by him, being harassed, being kidnapped, the whole nine, the devil did not want to let me go. Now, when I say being kidnapped, I'm talking about spiritually. I'm not talking about naturally. The reason I say that is because I've shared a story on my platform before when I did have an ex that tried to kidnap me. Of course, that was Satan in him, but <laughs> what happened in the natural was a reflection of what was going on in the spirit. The enemy put up such a fight in, in his attempt to hold on to me. And it's not because he was in love with me. It's not because he wanted to bless me. No, whenever you're dealing with demons, they have fantasies too. Whenever you're dealing with demons, they have thoughts too. How do we know this? The Bible talks about Lucifer. He said in his heart, he said in his heart, I will exalt my, my throne above the stars of God. These are imaginations. These are thoughts that he had that he had going on on the inside of him. And whenever you come in contact with demonic entities, they are fantasizing. They are dreaming. They do have plans for you. Now, it's not just plans. You got to understand that demons do have counsel with one another. They do talk. They communicate. They commune. They plan. They plot amongst one another and they plot on ways to destroy you. Now, uh, one other thing that needs to be noted, because, you know, people will ask an obvious question. Why don't demons, since they come to steal, kill and destroy, why don't they just start killing off people as soon as they get into people? Why don't they kill them off? First and foremost, they need a legality to do that. Even if they get into a person, um, God can raise a standard against them so they can't kill everybody. The Bible says Satan goes about seeking whom he may devour, which means that he can't devour or destroy everyone. He goes about looking to see if there is a legality, if there's somebody that he can uh, destroy. But if he can't destroy him, his goal is to lead them to destruction. Now, obviously, when I talk about the enemy, I'm talking about not just Satan. I'm talking about demons because Satan is not omnipresent. He's not in all places at one time. This is why he has to utilize uh, demonic entities or demonic spirits uh, to do his dirty deeds. But whenever an, an, a devil is in a person, the, per the demon needs a legality to kill that person. But get this. Even if the demon had a legality, if the person is broken, if the person is willing to serve the enemy, the, the demon is not so quick to want to kill the person because the demon wants to utilize that person to hurt other people, to open those people up for demonic oppression or what have you. And this is why so many people um, were able to escape the enemy's grasp is because he kept them alive. Even when he found a legality to kill them, he kept some people alive because they showed no signs of wanting to get delivered. They showed no signs of wanting to be free. They showed no signs of ever turning their lives over to the Lord. They were Satan's bottom women and bottom men. He was able to use them to hurt other people, to bind other people. So he felt safe with them. He felt like he didn't have to worry about them. But then there was this suddenly moment where as 
They were like Paul, you know, they had a Damascus Road moment. Something happened that caused them to shift. Something happened that caused them to change their minds. Something happened that caused them to repent. Something happened that caused them to go into the safety of God. And it was there that God was able to lift up a standard against the enemy so he could not kill them. And even in that, he said, I wish I could have killed them. If I can get them back, if I can get that person to come back to me, I'm going to go ahead and destroy that person. It reminds me of um, exes. I always tell people like this, whenever you're dealing with a crazy, toxic ex, the most dangerous thing that you can do with that particular ex is to show that person that you can live without them. Most dangerous thing is to show them that you can live without them, then to return to that ex and then attempt to leave again. People do that all the time. I hate to say this, but there are people, men and women who are six feet deep right now. They are dead right now because they play mind games with their exes. Now, am I saying that their deaths are justifiable? Absolutely not. It's tragic. It shouldn't have happened. But I'm saying that to say because you got to teach the living so that they don't go. They don't play those type of games because a lot of times you have people, for example, um, a woman who has a cheating husband and a husband, you know, he's cheating. He's abusive. He's crazy. And she keeps trying to tame him, trying to get him to stop, not realizing that his issue is not with her. His issue is with God. There is nothing that she can do to change his mind besides, you know, just living for God and demonstrating God in his presence, either that or getting away from him. But she decides in her mind, I'm getting tired of this. I'm getting tired of him hitting on me. I'm getting tired of him hurting me. I'm getting tired of him cheating on me. And for the most part, most of the time when you're dealing with women like that, they're going to focus more on the cheating. I'm getting tired of him cheating on me. If he wasn't cheating, then the hitting wouldn't be there. You know, he's hitting me because I keep finding text messages. I keep questioning him. So that's what's causing the hitting. So they will, you know, say, well, if I can get him to stop cheating. And so what the woman will do is she starts to, you know, try to threaten her husband, try to intimidate him, try to get him to understand, like, I'm not going to stick with you. Um, so she utilizes one of the spirits that... He he's bound by, which is the spirit of rejection and the fear of rejection. So she starts threatening to leave him. Now he's tormented by it. And don't try to apply logic to this man's thinking. Okay. Because when you listen to messages like this, it's so easy for people to get triggered and be like, well, he shouldn't be doing this. Stop trying to apply logic to a demon because you're not going to be able to go anywhere with that. But she walks away from him. She leaves him. She says, you know what? No more. I'm not doing this. I'm, I, I'm not going to do this or what have you. But in, in the back of her mind, she's not leaving him for good. It's to teach him a lesson. In the back of her mind, what she figures, you know, I cook, I clean, and I take care of the kids. You know, I'm always having his uh, lunch ready for him, you know, before he goes to work. I'm the one that runs that house. He can't do anything without me. She realizes her role. She realizes how valuable she is and how needed she is. So she decides to basically go on strike. So that's her. When she leaves him, it's just her going on strike. She leaves him and then she begins to flourish and function without him. She begins to flourish and function without him. So she goes out there and she starts to live in her, starts living her life or what have you. She gets a promotion on her job. She gets her a nice little apartment or maybe even a house or what have you. She gets a car and he's going downhill. You know, he is, it's hard for him to pay his bills. Um, the female that he, he's been messing with, let's say she gives him a venereal disease. He finds out that, you know, she's not uh, an integral woman or what have you. So his life is going downhill. He starts to think back to the time when, 
his life was on the up and up, when everything was stable, when everything was good or what have you, he starts thinking back and he traces that, that joy back to his wife. He traces that joy back to the time when he was with her. And so he just keeps fantasizing. Of course, he starts uh, reaching out to her and using the children as leverage or what have you. And he comes to her one day and he says, listen, I want to apologize to you. I really messed up. Uh, I love you. I, I can't stop thinking about you. I destroyed my family. You know, if I can have another chance with you. And he says, finally, he says everything that she wants to hear. But she decides, no, I'm still going to play a few little games with him because I don't want to make it too easy because then he may go back and do it again. So she's like, no, I need you to go to counseling. I need you to do this before I come back, before I even think about coming back. So I'm not moving back in with you. He agrees. He goes to counseling, takes a few sessions or what have you. And then she, um, they eventually reconcile. She comes back in the house. She just put herself in danger. She just put herself in danger because he just realized that he can't live without her. He realized he can't live without her. So what then happens is he goes back to that lifestyle because he's dealing with demons. He's dealing with a stronghold. He's dealing with uh, his will, his decisions. These are things that are locked up in him because he has not gotten delivered, not just from the demon, but from the belief that that that, you know, that is going to produce something good or what have you. Um, he's dealing with sex addiction. He's dealing with a lot of different things. So he goes back to cheating or what have you. The wife finds out again. Wife starts threatening him. It makes him angry and more abusive because for him in his mind, he sees himself as the victim in his mind. He's oppressed by the demons and he feels like he's being oppressed by his wife. He feels the pressure of it all because he doesn't know how to stop. He doesn't know what to do. All he knows is that he has the desire to be with other people, but he doesn't want to leave the safety of his home. He doesn't want to lose the safety of his wife. So he just goes into a spot of madness or what have you. And one day the, the wife starts packing up and she starts leaving him or what have you. Or let's just say she successfully leaves. He decides, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to blow her brains out. It is crazy. And we've seen this. We see these stories all the time. It makes no sense to the logical mind. This is why I said, don't try to make sense of it. It's crazy because at the end of the day, the only choice he was giving her, the only option she had to live was she had to live in misery. She had to stick with him and just let him cheat. That's the only option that she had if she wanted to remain alive was to just allow him to go out there to cheat on her, to do all that wicked stuff to her and just to be at home. Don't say nothing about the cheating. Don't don't mess up with it. Don't mess up his peace. But she had to deal with the torment on her own. That was the only option she had. But leaving him was a death sentence. Now, the first time she left him wasn't necessarily a death sentence because you know what? Even though it was tormenting to be without his wife, he still was able to bear some of the blame. He was or most of the blame. He realized that, hey, I'm at fault here. When she came back, he was he was able to shift the blame to her and say she plays mind games, which is what she actually did. She plays mind games. So he was able to share the blame with her. And then eventually he put the entirety of the blame on her because rather than her walking out, she was using his demons against him. She was torturing him. And so he decided to take her life because he, he realized he couldn't live without her. Um, he wasn't going to be happy without her. This is how demons are. Whenever a person is bound by a demonic entity, for the most part, demons have been there for a long, 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 long time. And it's easy for them to think that, okay, if I got cast out, you know, maybe this will happen, maybe that'll happen. 
But whenever a demon is gone out of a person, whenever a demon is cast out, that demon becomes puppy sick. And when I say puppy sick, it begins to long for the person. The Bible says that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it goes through high, dry places uh, seeking rest, but finding none. It says, I will go back to the place where I came. So it goes for another person or goes looking for another person or something to inhabit. But when it can't find it, it says, I'm going to return to the place from which I came, which is a person that was initially bound by, which means that demon is puppy sick. That demon is home sick. That demon can't stop thinking about the person, but it has nothing to do with love. It has nothing to do with the demon looking at the person and saying, you know what? I'm going to be good. I'm going to treat that person good. Makes me think of a deliverance session I did uh, one time. And I've heard this more, more than one time, but this one sticks out to me. Um, I was doing a mass deliverance section session and a demon screamed out of a girl's mouth and it said, please don't cast me out. I'll be good. And it echoed something I heard Apostle John Eckhart say one time, and I thought it was the most hilarious thing. Not one day did I ever think that that would happen to me. But I remember I went to, um, I don't remember, it was an event that he he hosted. And he said he was doing deliverance on a young lady one time. And it, I don't remember if it was a lady or a man, but I'm assuming it was a woman. Said the demon yelled out the woman's mouth, please don't cast me out. I'll be a good demon. <laughs> please don't cast me out. I'll be a good demon. And he was like, how you... That doesn't even go together. How are you going to be a good demon? And I laughed about that. I've shared that story many, many times, never thinking for once I would ever hear a demon say that to me. Not for one time, because at that time, um, when I went to his events, I had never I wasn't in the ministry of deliverance yet. So I found that a lot of things that demons say, you know, most ministers have heard like, leave us alone. Um, don't cast me out or you can't cast me out. Oh, what have you? I have a right to be here. There are certain things that demonic spirits say um, whenever you are performing deliverance on a person that, you know, most deliverance ministers can echo. We can say, oh, I heard somebody say that. But Apostle Eckhart was the only person that I've ever heard say, and it's not to say he's the only person that has happened to, but he was the only person that I've ever heard say that a demon said to him, um, don't cast us out. Don't cast me out. I'd be a good demon. But that the, the demon spoke out of this girl's mouth and said, please don't cast me out. I'll be good. That was the demon's words. Please don't pass, cast me out. I'll be good. And I was like, "How you gonna, you're a demon. Come out <laughs> out of here. You can't be good because demon and good don't go together. It's a deceptive spirit. It is a liar um, or what have you. But it's funny what demons do whenever they are manifesting like that. What it does is it tries to appeal to your humanity. It tries to get you to have compassion on it. Because when it was uh, speaking to the girl, it doesn't sound like, please don't cast me out. It doesn't sound like that. Um, it uses the person's voice. It uses the person's personality uh, to hide behind. It said, please don't cast me out. I'll be good. Please don't cast me out or what have you. But it's still hilarious nonetheless. I'm saying that to say that demons do long for people. They do long for people. They can get cast out of a person and they're going to keep trying to come back. This is why they keep trying to come back because the house that they had with that person was probably the most stable place that they've ever had before. It was the most stable place that uh, they've ever existed in. And so that is to say, whenever you go through deliverance, understand that your demon is going to be puppy sick. They're going to want you back. <laughs> they're going to long for you. They're going to desire you. But don't think of it in a romantic sense of, okay, so now the demon has learned his lesson. You'd be amazed at how many people out here literally be trying to teach their demons lessons. 
They will go. They do the same thing with demons. I kid you not. Ministry of deliverance. Ask any deliverance minister. Um, in the ministry of deliverance, there are a lot of people who they actually don't mind being bound. As a matter of fact, if you were to say, girl, you have this issue or you got that demon, that demon, they will smile at you and laugh. They think it's the cutest thing. And whenever their demons don't function the way that they think the demon should function. Now, they're not walking around cognizantly or just consciously acknowledging that they have demons. They're not walking around smiling at the fact that they have demons. But if you just point it out, they're going to smile about it or they may laugh or they'll chuckle or something like that. And they do nothing to get the demon cast out. Those people, whenever they come uh, for deliverance, for the most part, many of them are angry with their demons. Because for them, the demon did not do what the demon, what they believe the demon was supposed to do. So they'll show up and they'll be like, um, I need to go through deliverance and I'm just tired of this stuff. And just the way that they're talking lets you know that it's not a situation where you have a human being who's saying, hey, listen, I want to be free so that I can serve the Lord. I just want to be free. No, they're saying it from a place of frustration and anger because it's like for them. Well, I thought that even though I was living in sin, all of this, these, these are the thoughts that a demon gave them is that things were going to go well. But since things weren't going well, uh, maybe they lost a relationship or maybe somebody in their family passed away or something. But typically there is some type of uh, triggering or traumatic event that leads them to say, OK, now I want the demon cast out. And I realized that it is just revenge on their part. They literally want to take revenge against their demons. But the problem is they haven't fallen out of agreement with those spirits. They haven't fallen out of agreement with those spirits. The thing is they just want, they just want to teach the demon a lesson. Consequently, demons take revenge too. So the Bible says when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest, but finding none, it says, I will go back to the place from whence I came. Then he goes and finds that place swept, garnished and everything put in order, and I'm probably butchering, butchering that part, but then it goes out and takes seven spirits more wicked than itself, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Revenge. It go get seven demons more wicked than itself, and the last state of that person is, then, is worse than when they were when they initially needed deliverance, which is why I've had to pull deliverance down off of my site many, many times and stop people from booking me because I came to realize why, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are bound, but I came to realize why they're bound. I came to realize that there are a lot of people out there genuinely who their desire for freedom, it has nothing to do with them desiring to serve God. It has nothing to do with them desiring to do the right thing. It has everything to do with them tired of being, being tired of being attacked, held back uh, by their demons. That's it. It has everything to do with that. And consequently, those same people, if they show up for deliverance because they're not interested in, in getting into a good church home, they're not interested in being submitted to godly authority. They're not interested in reading their Bibles. They're not interested in, in praying every night. They're not interested in, in, in doing right by God. It doesn't take long for them to go back into bondage. Consequently, this is why you see some people like that. You know, they typically will only show up at church when they need deliverance. And every time they show up at church, they come to the altar. They're going to manifest strong. You know, you, you see them ah, and crawling and growling all over the place. They will typically manifest strong 
And then once it's over with, they get their deliverance and then you're not going to see them again. They probably come back the next Sunday because they'll tell themselves in their minds, I'm going to commit to this lifestyle. But then they fall away. It, it doesn't take them long to fall away because they're seduced right back into the lifestyle that they're trying to come out of because they didn't get the substance that they needed. And just like the demon was puppy sick, they were puppy sick for their demons as well. They kept thinking about, you know, that lifestyle. They kept thinking about the things they used to do. They kept thinking about the feelings that they had. They kept thinking about it. And so consequently, they went back to that lifestyle, reconciled with the demons. The demon uh, bought back seven spirits more wicked than itself. And they were far worse off. And the next thing you know, they're right back in their lifestyle. Everything seems to be intensified because now they got seven demons more wicked than the first ones that they had. Everything seems to be intensified and they just continue living life like that until the demon um, proves itself to be a demon. Yet again, something bad happens. And then, you know, maybe they're uh, they got a parent whose life is on the line. It could be a child whose life is in danger. What have you? Then they show back up again because they're like, OK, I need deliverance or what have you. So basically it becomes this thing where. They see deliverance as a magic trick. It's just like, okay, it's almost like they're trying to separate God from deliverance. Uh, They're just showing up saying, hey, you know, I I got an issue going here. Uh, Can you cast the demon out? And I'm like, okay, well, what are you trying to put in the jar? And when I say the jar, I'm talking about what changes are you trying to make to your life? And for the most part, you know, people will make commitments. They'll say back and say, yeah, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to stop doing that. But they go right back out, which is why I advise everybody to get a pastor. They need to have some form of accountability. So there are puppy sick demons out there. There are demons out there that once they're cast out, they will miss you. And hear this. This is the I think what motivated me to really want to say this because I'm getting ready to close this. Um Understand that an unclean spirit doesn't just have to come back and reinfest you. Sometimes in order to re-enter your life, a demon that was cast out of you can get into another person. Remember, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it goes through dry places, sick and rest. Then it says, I will go back to the place from whence I came. And it goes and finds that place swept, garnished and empty. And it goes and takes seven spirits more wicked than itself. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Hear me when I say this. A demon can come back and find, let's say that place is not empty. Let's say that, but there's still a space for the enemy. This is why the Bible says give no place to the devil. There's still space for the enemy. Maybe unforgiveness. Maybe the person's walking in unforgiveness, what have you. But that demon comes back. If that demon comes back and it can't really necessarily get in the person, it can't inhabit the person that, the way that it, they, it wants to, what it will typically do is it will become one of the seven spirits more wicked. That means that somebody else that went through deliverance or somebody else that got free, or maybe they didn't go through deliverance. Maybe because all deliverance is not always, Hey, I, I, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. Uh, you can, you can go through deliverance by submitting to God. James four, seven says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So somebody out there ends up getting bound by the demons. that got cast out because they get the seven spirits more wicked than itself. And they happen to be the demons that were the demons that were cast out of you were seven times more wicked than the ones that were in that person that the demons that were cast out of let's say if it was you the demons that were cast out of you could be seven times more wicked than the ones that was in that person now all of a sudden because the devil gonna look for your kind he's gonna look for your type 
Because that's what all the type is, is just familiar spirits. It's just what you're familiar with. It's what you're comfortable with. So Satan always is going to look for your type. So next thing you know, here comes this dude. Let's say you're female. You're single. Here comes this guy in your life. There's something familiar about him. There's something that makes you comfortable with him. You know, there's something about him that makes you feel like we like we can skip the nasties and all that other stuff in the relationship. We can actually move relatively fast in our relationship because the familiarity signifies or suggests that there is something there that you've had encounters with before, but you don't realize that you just say, well, I'm really comfortable with this guy. I've never been comfortable with anybody like this so fast in my life. Consequently, you may find yourself having sex. Now, obviously, I preach sex outside of marriage is wrong. That's what the Bible says. But consequently, you're familiar with this person. You may end up sleeping with the person. Then you say the silly thing like, oh, I'm sorry. I've never done this before. I don't know why I feel so comfortable with you. Oh, what have you? It's it's an unclean spirit. It's a familiar spirit. It's a familiar spirit that got cast out. And remember what I told you. Once something or someone leaves your life, if you let them back in, they're far more dangerous when they come back in because they realize that you can actually lead, live and function without them. So once Satan is cast out, Satan realizes that, hey, this girl here can actually live without me. This girl can function without me. This girl can thrive without me. She did better without me. So there's a high probability that she's going to cast me out again. So Satan looks for an opportunity or those demons look for an opportunity to go ahead and to destroy you. They look for an opportunity to go ahead and say, okay, what can we do to either kill this person or destroy them so much to the point where there will be no recovery? What can we do? Typically, romantic relationship. Most of the times, the enemy just brings somebody into your life. Who deals with obsession? The person thinks they love you. They think they're in love with you. What have you? The person's puppy sick. Person can't stop thinking about you. They don't realize that those thoughts are warfare because, you know, a lot of times people don't understand the concept of a romantic warfare. So they can't stop thinking about you. So initially, if they get your attention, if they get your phone number, if they get you to engage in a relationship with them, you know, initially they're just dealing with these overwhelming thoughts and they think that that means that they're in love. So they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't stop thinking about you. I don't know what you're doing to me. Oh, what have you? The person is excited initially. Well, over the course of time, what's going to then happen is the person is going to exhibit demonic behavior, toxic behavior. And that can drive you out of the relationship because, you know, the person may be out here cheating because demons are greedy. They want to have as many people as possible. That's why when you come in contact with a promiscuous man or a promiscuous woman, you can bet you by golly wow that there are demons there. The demons are collecting souls because every time that person sleeps with another person, they create a soul tie. So the demon is literally out there collecting souls. So the person starts dealing with all these thoughts. So I can't stop thinking about you. I want you to have my babies. I want you to, I want to spend my life with you. They're thinking about all these things and what have you. So in the beginning, you just think it's standard love because it's American culture for us to be accepting of that type of behavior. You know, so you're just excited about it and you say, well, I'm in love with you, too. I can't stop thinking about you as well. Oh, what have you? And the person's like, oh, my gosh, can I come over? I want to be with you. Let's hang out today. Let's go do this. What the enemy's trying to do is strengthen that soul tie between you and that person. 
the person becomes abusive or starts exhibiting behaviors because the demon is terrified of you leave because there's a demon called rejection. There's another demon called the fear of rejection. So believe it or not, demons do feel that fear. And when they're in a person, they cause that person to feel it as well. They cause that person. So the, the guy starts dealing, let's say you're a female, the guy starts dealing with fear of rejection. He's tormented. So he starts thinking that you're going to leave him. You're going to abandon him. And there's a demon called abandonment. There's also another demon called fear of abandonment. So he thinks that you're going to leave him because that's what, you know, people have done over the course of his life. His mother was no good. Um, so he thinks that you're going to hurt him. He starts to ascribe the personality of the people who hurt him to you. So he starts questioning you about the clothes you're wearing, why you're wearing that outfit, who you're trying to impress. He keeps questioning you about your clothing. And you say, well, hey, listen, um, I've been wearing this since before I met you. I've never cheated on you. I don't know why you're so insecure. Nevertheless, he insists he's um, frustrated or what have you. The relationship gets toxic. It, it becomes increasingly toxic. He becomes increasingly insecure and it drives him out there because, again, he's going to likely be out there cheating as well. Um, and then he starts justifying his cheating because he says in his heart, well, you know, she's out here dressing. So she she obviously looking for somebody. Now, you don't even have to be dressing scantily clad. It's just the fact that you have the nerves to try to look nice, you know, um, because in his mind, what he feels like it would make him more secure is if you were were to pull your hair back in a ponytail, did not put on any makeup and just wore a, a nice little white T-shirt and maybe some baggy jeans. That's what makes him feel uh, secure. It makes him feel like, okay, you're confident, you know, that you're content with him. But you have the nerves to put on a blue jean shirt. Let's say a blue a jean button-up shirt. You don't cleavage out or anything. You put on some jeans that fit, that are normal. Not necessarily too tight, but they fit. You put makeup on your, fa your face. You actually did your hair. That makes him insecure. That makes him insecure. That makes him feel some type of way. He starts dealing with these tormented thoughts of you trying to go out here and be with somebody else. You trying to impress somebody else. You're already cheating on him or what have you. So he starts dealing with that torment. So consequently, when a person is dealing with torment, they're going to torment you. Tormented people torment people. So he's going to torment you. Why are you dressing like that? He keeps doing that. So his cheating, he uses that to justify because he says in his heart, well, she's trying to leave me anyhow. She's trying to leave me anyhow. She's trying to walk away from me anyhow. She's not content with me anyhow. Nevertheless, he still tries to hold on to you. But over the course of time, you find out he's cheating and then you try to break it off with him. You try to break it off with him. You say, you know what? This isn't working. Um, I didn't sign up for this. I thought you were a decent person. And he says, you you did this where he starts kind of gaslighting you and, and deflecting the blame onto you and trying to make it look like it's the issue is you and not him. You're dealing with a demon bound person. You're dealing with a demonically bound person. Taking him to church is not going to change that. Um, nothing's going to change that unless he wants to change and he gets up and goes to church and he studies his word. Matter of fact, going to church is really not going to change it. Honestly, because a lot of people don't understand that you got to have substance um, because you got going to church. is like it, it motivates you, right? It gives you the, 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 the zeal, the excitement in the moment. It's, it's almost like going to a seminar because I've been to plenty of sem seminars uh, back in the day. But it's like going to a wealth building seminar while they're talking. There's an impartation being made in a room. You feel invigorated. You, you feel like a. 
I'm about to go out here. These, I'm, I'm about to put out. I'm going to put all of these methods and practices uh, and systems into place that they're teaching up in here. You feel invigorated. If you come out of that environment, the invigoration is going to begin to slow down. That charisma is going to begin to die out. The flame is going to begin to fizzle out. And unless you go back into that environment, you have to keep putting yourself back in that environment. Most people don't keep putting themselves back in that environment because it's going to cost to keep going back in that environment. But it's going to fizzle out. It's the same thing when, when you're dealing with. Um, what was I talking about? It's the same thing when you're dealing with a relationship. Those things begin to fizzle out. It begins to fizzle out. Um, so in his mind, he believes that, OK, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm trying to save our relationship. This is what makes it more dangerous. I'm trying to save our relationship from you doing what women do. The inevitable cheat. Because in his mind, all women ain't no good. All women cheat or what have you. So in his mind, he's saving his relationship. In his mind, he's stopping you from doing what you're prone to do. In your mind, you see all the toxicity, the brokenness, and you realize there's literally nothing I can do to satisfy this person. So again, you can't save him. You can't heal him. He has to want that for himself. He has to chase God outside of you. That means he doesn't need to be in a relationship. The reason I have to make sure I reiterate that, because a lot of times people are caught up in romantic soul ties and they genuinely will tag into a message like this looking for hope. Like, what can I do? Okay, so I get now understand what's wrong with him. So now I think I can help him a little bit more effectively. No, you can't. Because at the end of the day, you can know what's wrong with somebody. You can diagnose somebody, but it's not unless they present themselves to be healed or to get the information, whatever they need, that you can help them. It makes me think of my mom when she was battling cancer. You know, my mom was battling it and she had all the information. The doctor turned around and handed her some drugs, uh, some chemo pills because she didn't want to go through chemo treatments. And again, I completely understood her body was worn down from all the chemo and the radiation that she had done. And, you know, this was like her sixth round with cancer. And so she sat up there and she was like, she's not taking those chemo pills. I was like, mom, you need to take them. She would not. So she presented herself, but she didn't take the medicine. She didn't take the medicine. So consequently, uh, the cancer spread and eventually it took her out. Eventually, it took her out. He can present himself. You can take him to church. He can be present in church. But if he doesn't take the word in, if he doesn't study the word on his own, and I'm talking about having his own hunger for it, then guess what? And this is the same for the women, guys. But the person is not going to change. The only thing they're going to do is they're going to try to change their behavior without changing their heart. That is the very definition of religion. And that's only going to make that person more toxic, more crazy, and more dangerous over the course of time. There are spirits out there that nine times out of ten may see you as their property, right? And it could be generational demons, which we call familiar spirits. Spirits that have been passed on uh, from your grandparents, great-grandparents, all the way to your parents, and then to you, your siblings, or what have you. And you've had to wrestle with those spirits over the course of your life. You've had to, to fight them. The way that you have to get rid of them, one, you need substance. That's when that room is empty. When they come back and find that demon comes and finds that room empty, there's no word there. You need the word in that room. So that means you got to study your word every day. I know you don't feel like it. I know you're tired. I know you have a lot of things going, but you need to study your word every day. Secondly, you need to present yourself at a good church home. 
to make sure that you get an understanding. The Bible says, above all thy getting, get understanding. Because if you lean, the Bible says, lean not to your own understanding. It also says, don't forsake the coming together of the saints. So if you try to lean to your own understanding, then you're going to come up with your own understanding of the scriptures. And every person will, you know, uh, you're going to come up with your own understanding. And it's going to usually go through your your filter, your filters. Your filters are um, how you process information. Fil- filters are bent through perversion, through events and experiences, revelation and lag thereof. So that information is going through a filter and you will come out. This is why we have so many uh, religions and denominations is because people have these filters or what have you. So you have to have Holy spirit to give you revelation and give you understanding of a thing. And so you want to make sure, and I know you may say, well, well, sister Tiffany, that's that you just gave me the answer. All I got to do is ask Holy spirit to give me understanding. Well, he wants you to go into a community. Chances are because he doesn't want you to be relying on yourself. You're needed in a community, just like you need community. You got to get into a good godly community and understand that when you go into a godly community, there are some ungodly people there. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm saying that to say, don't run out of there because you see some ungodly folks. You're going to come across some hot messes um, that's going to be up in there. But you just have to, you know, stay in your lane. Make sure you get your freedom, get your wisdom, get your revelation, get what you need. Um, make whatever connection God wants you to make and just stick it out. Just stick it out. You have to get that wisdom. You have to get that revelation. You have to get that knowledge. You have to get that understanding. You got to get discernment. You got to feel the room. You can't keep leaving the room empty. And expecting the enemy to leave you alone. As long as that room is empty, you give place to the enemy and the enemy will continue to return because you're going to still have an appetite. See, that empty room represents a void and a void is a black hole in the soul. A black hole has a strong gravitational pull called attraction. It will determine who you are attracted to. So consequently, you will find yourself attracted to people that rep that are familiar to you. Like they have familiar personalities. They have something about them. You'll be like, it's just something about him. And I can tell you, I've experienced that many times where I'll come across a guy and there is something very comfortable about him, something relatively familiar about him or what have you. But I know what it is right now. I know that, you know, chances are that's a familiar spirit. You know, I've, I've dealt with that spirit my whole life. Got delivered from it. Nevertheless, it doesn't change the fact that I know that spirit. I think of an old best friend of mine. We were friends for over 20 years, right? And even though we're no longer friends, we no longer talk. We stopped dealing with each other in 2015. That's it's 2022 now. There's a sense of familiarity that I will likely always have in relation to her. Now, as time, uh, as we have more and more time apart, you know what? I'm probably going to not know her as much, but that will always be that sense of familiarity. Doesn't mean that we're friends, doesn't mean that we're communicating, but it does mean that I know certain facets of her personality. I know certain, you know, habits that she have or what have you. I know the looks. I, I know those things. So get free. Get free. Make sure that you get free. Don't go back to what you're attracted to. Let God do what he wants to do in your heart and stay free and understand that demons are going to look at you and they're going to long for you and they're going to try to find some type of way to get back into your life once they're cast out. But the only way you're going to keep them out is you have to stay in agreement with God. Amos 3, 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? In order to walk together with God, you have to come into agreement with God. But you can't come into agreement with with the word if you've never studied the word. If you don't know what the word says, then you can't come into agreement with the word. So you have to come into agreement with the word. This is what allows you to walk with God and stops you from walking with the enemy. Anyhow, I hope this helped you and I hope that it blessed you. You can visit me at TiffanyBuckner.com. 
and find more messages like these. All right, love you. God bless.